0: Welcome back to episode number 31 of The MP Dude. This is Jeff, The MP Dude, giving nurse practitioners a voice, and that is all of our voices. So keep those comments and questions coming. You guys are doing a great job. I'm still getting more and more questions and comments, and I appreciate it. Um, I've got two of them that I want to talk about today, and so it's going to be a pretty quick show. But um, the first one was just a basic email question that came in and said, What's my liability about someone that is driving but shouldn't be? What do I have to do for that? How do I handle that? I've got an elderly person and... Um, I've got uh, some, you know, family members that maybe, you know, do I violate HIPAA if I tell the family members about them not being, you know, really able to drive, or do I end up in a situation where um, somebody gets hurt because they're driving, and am I liable f- for that? So th- that's a great question, and it puts you kind of in the middle of this really bad situation. So what do you do? And it, and it really comes back to um, weighing and balancing two different things. One is your um, legal liability under HIPAA and the other one is protecting the public. And so what we kind of have to step back in time and, and look at what HIPAA information is and what you're allowed to disclose under HIPAA and and then look at what your what's your uh, duty to protect the public. So if you go back and you look at HIPAA, and everybody that's worked in a hospital, so most nurses that have worked in hospitals know that you're only allowed to look at patient information for the purpose of treating them. So you were never allowed to look at other people's charts, and you're not allowed to talk about it on the elevator if you're talking about a patient. And really what you you're have to do is limit the information that you're using for the intended purpose of the treatment of that specific whatever it is you're treating them for. So, here's the situation of HIPAA. Um, you've got a lot of psychosocial issues with family, but you know you're managing their diabetes. Well, the psychosocial stuff about their family may be important, but if you're really talking to another professional, say endocrinology, about their diabetes management, you know, there's no reason for you to talk about their you know divorce and use of Ambien and um, you know the, the grandfather is you know uh, uh, raging alcohol whatever whatever that weird stuff is, right It has no pertinent information, there's no reason to talk about that. So that could be a HIPAA violation. Um, so you, you, there's, there's those typical standards and everybody's pretty clear on that. Maybe one day I'll go through and do like a full blown HIPAA thing, but I just think everybody kind of knows, you know, you shouldn't be talking about it. And if you are, you're, you're, um, either for treatment or for, um, you can disclose information for billing purposes to insurance companies and things like that. And that's because there's um the 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 law is written specifically so you can give information so insurance companies can pay you so that that kind of makes sense and there's a couple other caveats in there about the hipaa law but that kind of covers it so grandpa comes in Um, he's 88 years old and he's, um, you know, he's got cataracts in both eyes and he drove himself there and he swerved. I mean, you could see him driving into the driveway and takes out the mailbox and there's no reason that this guy should be behind a wheel. And he comes in and sees you otherwise healthy. He's just, he just shouldn't be driving. What do you do? How can you handle that? So. The second half of that is: Can you reasonably foresee that he is a danger to the public? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty blatantly obvious, right? So now uh, you have the opportunity. Now you don't have to disclose this, but you have the opportunity where you can't be held accountable for a violation of HIPAA if you are doing it in a way and giving the information to a person that will uh, that has some ability to affect. Um, the safety. So and, and what I mean is if you uh, call the local police department and they come over and they, you know, they, they chaperone the guy and give him a ride home and take his, you know, take his car and take it home for him, that that's a reasonable way to do it. You could call the cops. Do you want to do that? I don't know if I'd want to call the cops on a patient. Probably not the smartest thing to do. You're going to lose some patience that way, right? It's not very politically smart. So what else can you do? You could call the um, maybe the next of kin. That's That would be um, maybe a power, durable power of attorney, whoever that might be if you have that information. So you could say, uh, you know, your oldest daughter is your power of attorney. Um, we really need to talk to them about maybe taking your keys away and selling your car because this isn't very safe. And having that discussion with, with the patient, too, and saying, you know, this – this is not smart, and I can't let this slide. And I have to make the phone call. And even if you hate me for it, I need to do this to protect you, and that you know the the ten year old kid riding his bike down the street. It's just smart. Um, so you could call a family member, but it has to be somebody that can affect a change in that. So you don't want to call, you know, neighbor Bob, who's you know not really going to do anything. That that's a violation of HIPAA. But it's got to be somebody that you could actually, you know, a family member, um, maybe a closest friend that is, a, um, that is maybe a power of attorney or some, some kind of uh, connection or nexus with the patient is the way to do it. Now, where did all this come from? Because it used to be the, the, uh, before HIPAA, they had the um, uh, doctor-patient privilege and the legal standard. And so that was what they used to use for you know to protect data and information getting out there. And what what happened was there was an instance in California and this is a landmark case. It's called the Terrasoff case and most people in medical and healthcare if you've been around a while you'll you'll have heard of the Terrasoff case. And Terrasoff case was about a uh, psychiatrist, I believe it was, and one of his patients, and his patient said, "You know, I'm really upset. I'm distraught. My girlfriend dumped me, or something like that." And said, "I'm going to go home and get a gun and go kill her, or stab her, or whatever it was. I can't remember the facts of the case." And uh, the the psychiatrist said, "Well, I can't disclose that because it's client privilege. I can't. I don't. I can't." I don't have the ownership of that privilege. Only the patient does. The patient can waive it, but I can't do anything about it. So he didn't call the cops. He didn't call anybody. He didn't call the, the, uh, the, the girlfriend or anything and warn her. So the guy went home, got his gun or knife or whatever it was, went over to her house and, and killed her. And so the, the, the uh, heirs or the, uh, the family members of this dead girl sued the doctor because he knew and should have, should have called and had a duty to warn the patient's girlfriend. And it was upheld. So the the problem was is now they've created this duty to warn standard. And so where does that end? And there's been a lot of case law. And there's in there's no real statutes that I could find on it. But um, there there may be in some states. But basically, it's a duty to warn. Um, now, do you have a duty to warn? You know, the public that you know Grandpa is 88 and can't see anymore, and he's driving. You really don't. But you are not held accountable for a violation of HIPAA if you do warn. So it's an easy out. Now, are people going to be prosecuted if you do that? Chances are if you're doing it the right way, no one's ever going to care. You might piss off the grandpa um, just because he wants to still have his independence. But in reality, at the end of the day, I'd rather have an 88-year-old guy pissed at me because I called his daughter and said, take the keys away, uh, than... than you know, family of five get run over on the side of on a sidewalk. I it just it, it just makes sense to me. So that was one that was a good question. And it's you know, it, it, what's the legal standard of you know where where do I what can I do? How do I handle this? Where where do I go from here? Because it can be a major issue if you know you're you're, you're talking with these patients and you want to take away something that they were you know holding on so dearly to. Um, and you could see where that comes into play with other things. So, you know, in the psychiatric world, it's pretty clear cut with Tarasov that you, you know, you, you don't necessarily have a duty to warn now. Um, well actually you still do. And if somebody threatens the life of someone, you have a duty to call the police and say, uh, you need to go, you know, this is a, a true thing. We have to take this seriously. So that duty to warn is there. But when you're talking about, um, potentially safety issues that aren't a you know violent crime. I'm going to go beat that guy up or I'm going to go kill this person or something like that. Then, um, you know, it, it just gives you that, that way to get out of the HIPAA violation and they've extended it to pretty much all healthcare. I mean, it's, it's all healthcare providers. Now as an RN, do you have a duty to warn? If somebody says, "I'm going to go kill that guy," yeah, I'm going to call the cops, or I'm, you know, I'm going to tell my supervisor and let the supervisor in the hospital you know, call the nurse manager and then they call, but it's going to happen, you know, the chain of command is going to be followed for that. But as a provider, yeah, you, you, you know, if somebody threatens the life of somebody, you got a big phone call. It's got to go to the cops on that one, but about driving, you know, that's just, I, the, the, I think the harder issue with that one is having the, the hard discussions over and over again with, with the client to make sure that they understand why you, why you want that, why it's in their best interest. So I, I think that's the way to go with that one. Then, and, and uh, it was a great question. It, it's just you know, in, in, it, you know, Terasov was a really interesting case back in law school. I remember reading it and and uh, thinking, wow, that's. Uh that's kind of scary, you know, that now you've got this duty. And where where is it? If somebody's kind of, you know, smiling, joking around, saying, ah, I'm going to kill that guy. You know, W-w-w-w-w-w-w-w-w-w. are they really serious or not? Now, do you- <laughs> so, you know, you have to dig into that a little deeper. And it kind of heightened that standard of care that we talked about back in that malpractice episode way back when, you know, 20-some episodes ago. So um, if you haven't listened to that malpractice episode, go listen to it. It's an interesting one. And, and uh, I'm seeing a lot of... Um, people going back and still hitting that one. So it's, a, it's a, I think, a good recap on, on uh, just general terms about what we have as liability is concerned. Now, another one came through on my webpage, and it was a comment that um, it was an Ohio grad. And I told her I'd, I'd talk about it today. So uh, it's uh, a new NP in Ohio. And basically, what the heck's going on with our board? And it's a great question. And we keep talking about all these different changes. And you know they, they keep publishing things, but nothing's really giving great guidance on things. So the specific questions were here. And there was a bunch of them. So we'll, we'll kind of go through. I'm going to kind of read them as we go. Um, Shh. So I'm not, here's my question to you is I don't know exactly where you are if you've done your COA or your CTP. If you haven't done either of those, you pretty much are getting locked in to March 23rd as the deadline for filing your applications for COAs and CTPs because they're changing over the computer system. So from the 23rd through April 6th, you're not going to be able to file anything with the state of Ohio. So you're going to be locked out. Now, what's the good thing? What's the bad thing? If you were to get your CTP, uh, if you have your COA, which is just your license, your CTP is your is your certificate to prescribe. If you were to able to get that, then you would just be able to renew it in July 1st of this year. And I, I'm still not getting good information on whether your externship hours like mine are going to be there or not to be honest with you. So uh, it just depends on where you are in your job search. If you already have a job and it's the X one, it looks like you're, you're negotiating is another question down the line here. Um, my recommendation would be if you haven't done your COA, I would just wait. I would just wait till April 6th. You're getting close enough. You're, you know what? Three, four weeks away. Um, you're, you're probably, unless you're ready to take a job and get your, your um, um, credentialing started, I just, you know, you're kind of stuck. You're really close to it. The problem here is that if you file your CTP today, chances are they're so backlogged right now because everybody's trying to get in quick and get that done. The problem is, is that you're, um, you're going to get kind of screwed. I think you're going to get your application in there and they're not going to have time to renew it and it'll be after the 6th when you finally get your approval on it. I just, I don't I don't trust that they'll be that fast. Maybe they will, I don't know. So it's up to you. You're right on that cusp of, of one versus another. Uh, another question in here was um, talking about wanting to do addiction medicine. Yes, go for it, right? I mean, it's even if you... Uh, even if you don't end up doing that, the the waiver training's free. You can get continuing ads for it. You can get your twelve hours that that uh, you know you may not need it, but you can get twelve hours of pharmacology. Actually, fifteen, but the twelve goes to the state is all they need. And uh, let's see what else. I care, but I have to license in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that's that's a great way to do. Addiction is great now. Here's the problem with addiction medicine right now, is that there is a huge, huge need for it. Um, the The problem here is, we we can do suboxone now. Uh, after you get your waiver training and you file your your DEA uh, waiver for your X license okay that's just, the X just means the beginning of your DEA number goes from an M to an X and that just alerts the pharmacy that you can do um, buprenorphine the the problem here isn't so much the the number of clients it's the number of facilities and even within the facilities it's the staff here's the issue that I see I could see probably, 10 times the patients that I'm seeing right now. I mean, not me personally, but the facility, the problem is, is that we still have to intake them. You still have to um, have the nursing staff to be able to do the urine drug screens, to draw blood work, to um, do, do dosing of buprenorphine if you're in that type of facility, and so you 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 have to you know for every one provider you need like three nurses to be able to keep the staff plus counselors and everything else to do it and maintain tracking of the records, and so it's not just adding providers; it's adding all the staff, and it's a big cost. So, and you need more facility space, and so I, that I think we're hitting a critical mass where we've got a we're getting to more and more providers in addiction medicine. But the problem is, is that the behavioral health side of it isn't growing as much. And so, you know, if you're doing medicated assisted treatment for addiction, that's fantastic. But the problem is, is that that's the assisted part. The treatment is really counseling, AA meetings, frequent talking with people in group therapies and things like that so that they learn good coping skills and, um, you know, figure out, Ways that they can prevent going back to the drug dealer's house, and it's not the medication. The medication just gives them the chance for them to be able to pay attention when they're in group therapy and AA and, and participating in their in their actual treatment. So, d- should you do it? Yeah, I have, it's great. It's 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 uh, certainly needed, and I you know I, I see that out there. Are there jobs out there? I don't know. It just depends where you are in the state. Um, yeah, I think that if you're you have a desire to do it with the number of people that are eligible with buprenorphine right now as a a nurse practitioner, it just opened up. So in theory, you should be able to find a job pretty easily. Um, But I would be careful if you're going to a family practice that wants you to do um, addiction medicine in a family practice without the behavioral side of it and the resources to help with that. I would be very leery of that type of a practice just because you don't want to be a suboxone clinic where you're just giving people assisted treatment as their only treatment. That's not, the, that's not what it's intended for. Um, another question was about going to work in uh, plastic surgery and license in multiple states. Uh, that, uh, that's up to you. Yeah, you can get multiple state licenses. If you um, have offices in multiple states, you have to have licenses in each one of those states and also insurances in each one of those states. I've talked about that in the past. So go listen to every single one of my episodes and you'll get that. I can't remember which one it was in. Um What else do we have on this one uh plastic surgery here's the issue that i have with with um with specialties and and it may not be an issue for you and and a lot of people love the specialties that they're in my biggest thing about a practice is being able to fit with the people in the practice in other words do i click with the other practitioners the office staff is this a good fit for my personality and if that's the case Everything else is kind of secondary. So, you know, you're still practicing in, in uh, you know, healthcare. You're still providing services. But the big thing for me with why I didn't want to do a, a specialty was that I was going to do a lot of follow ups. And th- there's a lot of incident to billing so that you can maximize profits. And you know, one of them was doing um, rheumatology. I, I talked at length and was really close to taking a job with a rheumatologist. And it was basically 15 minute follow ups to make sure their methotrexate was doing okay and that their symptoms were controlled. So it was the same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing, same thing. You know, all day long, you know, if you see 30 people in a day, probably 20 of them were going to be the same thing and they're stable. And so it wasn't very mentally stimulating to me. Someone else might love that. And it was an okay office, but it was kind of far for me. So, you know, I just, it really didn't really fit what I was looking for, but it might fit for you. So plastic surgery, you know, that sounds fun, right? I, I just don't know. I don't, you know, that's, I, I would have to do more research about that specific practice. Now, do I have a huge desire to go do a specific specialty? I just don't. So I was looking at all of them. I talked to urology. I talked to pain management. I talked to, which was kind of ironic that I ended up doing some addiction stuff and uh, talking to rheumatology and um, a couple others and uh, ortho. And and so I I just talked to a bunch of different people just to see what sounded like fun. And if I clicked with the office and, and I'm really happy I landed in family practice in, you know, for, for most of my, my week is family practice now. And I'm I'm just really having a lot of fun because it's really diverse. So that's up to you. That's a personal thing. But, yes, you'd you'd have to get licensed in multiple states. And, yes, I would – and it says PIA for sure, which I'm like, yeah, pain in the ass for sure, yes. And anybody can go see my website and see this comment so you guys can read the specific questions if you want. Yes, it would be a pain in the butt because you would have to manage multiple licenses and I wouldn't rely on an office manager or someone to do that for you. I would do it myself. And yes, it's a pain in the ass. But what I would do is if I was working for a practice that had multiple licenses in multiple states, I would be certain that I would negotiate that every single one of those licenses would be um, paid for by that practice because I would have not otherwise taken that job and it could be extensive. I mean, so you could have, you know, several hundreds of dollars every other year times two or three. That's a, that gets up there in price. Um, let's see what else here. Question, should I ask this MD to reimburse for extra le- yeah, right? That we just talked about that. Absolutely you should. I would negotiate that, but then I would even go a step further and say, look, you know, my requirements may be different for each state, so I may have to actually take more CMEs for West Virginia versus Ohio versus, you know, Pennsylvania. And so I want to make sure that I'm getting all of my CMEs covered because maybe there's nuances to each state's requirements for that. Plus you now have to manage those three licenses and you're not going to get paid for that. So I would definitely negotiate that. And I would probably bump the price up even more because you know, it sounds like, you know, West Virginia and you're, you, you're probably working really close to where I am. So PM me and uh, we could talk offline about where you're working and where I'm working. Cause I think we're probably pretty close to each other. Um, but yeah, I would I would beat these guys up a little bit because that's you know, trying to get somebody to come do that in that area of the country. Number one, you're probably going to be you know struggling to find some good people in that area, and two, to be able to do all this license crap, I would I would just ask for probably another five grand, ten grand a year just right off the bat, having to deal with the headache of managing all those licenses. That's just me, and I would start high and see what they say. You know, so, and you could always go down in price if uh, if it was something that you really want to do. So I hope I answered that one too. And I beat up on a little bit too. And I normally don't read the specific questions, but there was a lot of them in there. And, uh, and it was, a, it was some good questions. And, and since you're an Ohio person, man, I hate to say it, everybody else in the country, I'm at preference to Ohio. Come on. No, I'm just teasing. I'll, I'll answer anybody's questions, but, uh, I'm having a blast. You guys are great. i love nurses, man. Um, just keep the questions, comments coming. Um, I'm just having a blast. And I hope you guys are having fun, too. And I, I've, I've gotten nothing but good feedback. I haven't had anybody tell me I suck yet. I really want to hear Even if you're joking, I want somebody to just listen and say, Jeff, you suck. Put it right on my main Facebook page so everybody can see it. Say, you suck, Jeff. <laughs> see what, See if anybody's uh, is listening and... and uh and uh understands the inside joke to that one, but if I do suck tell me too because I want to know what uh, what i 'm not doing right what what kind of topics you guys want to listen to and and uh, give me some guidance as well, so keep the questions, comments coming, share on the Facebook page too. You guys hit like five or six shares on one episode the other day it 's still getting it 's still getting seen and downloads like crazy so that it 's been three or four days since that, and it 's still like one of the most seen uh, episodes and downloaded episodes so far. Don't forget you can get me on iTunes, you can always tell your friends even that even if they're not healthcare people or you know, let's let's do this. Let's try um nobody tagged me yet at, at at the NB, NP dude on uh, Facebook because I want to see if it works. So somebody do that. So just go on to, you know, onto your sh- page and just say uh at the NP dude, uh, what's up? Something. Just, just because I want to see if it works. And, uh, and if you've done it and it didn't work and it didn't tag me, message me so I know. Because I haven't seen one show up yet. So somebody tell me if it's working. Um, and that's the other thing. And then I kind of want to try to see if, um, because there's only a, a, a one or two podcasts that I've seen for physician's assistants. I think that they could be part of this community too, to some extent. Not that I think we are in the same model of, of you know philosophy of care, but you know we all kind of hit the same issues. And there's some legal stuff that's pretty much practitioner driven. So if you know a PA that's looking for something to listen to, don't don't hesitate. Say hey, there's there's this crazy guy, he's an NP, but he's got some pretty basic information out there for everybody. Send him my way, they, and I'll answer their questions too. So uh, I appreciate you guys listening and. Just keep the keep the ideas flowing. having a blast. Thanks guys. we'll talk soon.